first several verses of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. It's a synopsis of the political climate in which Jesus and his cousin John were beginning their ministries as adults, and it's not good. Emperor Tiberius is in his 15th year of power, and within the families that are ruling the area, there were plots to poison and overthrow and murder one another, and all of that happened. Pilate, the puppet governor, and the high priest were horrific enough to present John the Baptist's head on a silver platter and in time torture Jesus on a cross. But this morning, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, we find John the Baptist proclaiming a 30-year-old Jewish peasant was the son of God instead of the emperor of Rome. This Messiah he talked about would bring justice to an oppressed people and deliverance from a corrupt regime. Certainly the prophetic message of John is compelling, but you see it's also pretty dangerous. And so we turn to page 934 in our New Testament's Pew Bibles, and we'll read from the third chapter of Luke, various verses um, starting at verse 10 through 22. Listen now for the word of the Lord. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, John said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Business as usual. Get up, take a shower, make coffee, load the dishwasher, rally the kids or the dog or the spouse, get to work or school or Bible study, appointments, meetings. Get home, do laundry, make dinner, music lessons, soccer, walk the dog, homework, bath time, dishes, text a friend, stare at a screen, go to bed, business as usual. And yet somewhere in the midst of the everyday grind, a relationship is crumbling, a teenager is depressed, a spouse is distant, a diagnosis is looming, a job is un bearable. Finances are overwhelming. A child is worrying us. The grief is suffocating. Day after day, business as usual, masks and tests and boosters and breakthrough cases in maxed out hospitals again. 
divisive national rhetoric, isolation, instability, unpredictability. Is all of this now considered business as usual? And if it is, if the world swirling around us, if the reality of our own lives seems to be caving in on any particular day, what does it mean for us to show up here to do the same thing the church has always done, business as usual? We have gone to great lengths to ensure our pathways to worship and to spirituality are smooth and clear in the face of COVID-19, but we are struggling to gather consistently for anything, really. Our patterns and our habits for worship and fellowship and leadership and Bible study and mission, they have been strained and disrupted for two years now. Is this business as usual? What do you hope? What do you expect? The other shoe to drop? Do you expect change or a fresh start or a miracle? Scholar Shirley Guthrie would suggest that we are all hungry. We are spiritually hungry for something new, freedom, joy, enthusiasm, energy in the midst of all that is broken around us. Oppressive boredom, burnout, stagnation, meaninglessness, dare I say, deadness. Don't we want something that will make us feel alive again and enable us to hope that things can be different in our own lives and in the world around us? Don't we hunger for new life, a new beginning, new understanding, new truth, new relationships, new community? Because if we do, if you do, if you need or hope or pray or want newness, well, the Holy Spirit is the source and the giver of that. And I would say at this point, many of us, most of us really are not only spiritually hungry, but most of us come to this table and we are spiritually malnourished. Now, it is safe to say believers have different ideas about what it means to be spiritual, but to be clear, the Holy Spirit is not fuel or electricity any more than the church is a gas station where we come to fill up when we are on empty. The Holy Spirit doesn't control how we feel or what we do any more than the devil made you do those things you did back in college. The Holy Spirit is not possessed by Christians alone any more than spirituality is a personal experience or feeling or motivation or inspiration. And so we come here searching, even though Tiberius and Pilate and Caiaphas and leprosy and poverty are circling all around us. And along with the tax collectors and the soldiers and everyone else, we've carried all of our worries and our hopes and our fears and our expectations down to the river Jordan, where John the Baptist does what he does and quotes the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of a coming Messiah who would be filled with God's Spirit. And we think to ourselves, haven't we been waiting long enough? So we ask John the Baptist, 
What are we supposed to do? And John says, you want a new life? Prepare your hearts. You want a new life? Well, it's time to get it together. Check your priorities. Come clean. Look out, people. Incoming Messiah. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked will be made straight. The rough ways will be made smooth. And all of humanity shall see the salvation of God. What do you mean, prepare? What does it mean to be spiritual anyway, we think? Well, Jesus wasn't really into a bunch of touchy-feely, new-age hoo-ha, was he? But if we want to know what it means to be spiritual, then we must first look at Jesus' life, which reflects the epitome of what it means to have a spiritual life. As Guthrie states, you see, Jesus went to parties, and he ate, and he drank, and he had a good time. He talked more about what people did with their money than he did about their sexual purity. You see, Jesus was as interested in the health of their bodies as, he, as in their souls. Jesus was a friend and a companion, not just to the morally pure and pious, but of immoral, unbelieving sinners. Jesus defended the cause of those who were, were rejected and despised by po politics and society and the religious and the political establishment. Jesus believed that human need takes precedent over strict conformity to the law. Jesus came to serve other people, not to assert his moral and religious superiority over them. Jesus loved his enemies and did good to those who hated him. He trusted and served the God he called Father, even when it did not pay off in personal success and happiness, even when it meant giving up his own life for unworthy, no-good sinners. His life was the life of one who prayed, even when everything he had worked and hoped for was denied him and he felt forsaken by God. You see, that is the kind of life that is the result of God's Spirit coming to dwell in a person. And you and I both know it's going to be a stretch for the likes of us, isn't it? But here's the good news. Jesus hadn't done any of those things before that dove showed up. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't healed a leper or walked on water or met the woman at the well. He hadn't fed a crowd with a couple fish or forgiven his enemies or even called his disciples. Jesus and all of those people were baptized, and then he prayed, and then out of nowhere, the heavens opened up, and look out, Jesus, incoming dove. Nothing about this. It's business as usual. A voice affirms, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God is delighted. Not for the sake of what Jesus had accomplished in his first 30 years. We don't even know what he did. Not because Jesus was good enough or holy enough or perfect. Jesus of Nazareth was fully human. But because God's love is so profound that God rips open the heavens because God loves us and claims us first. 
And in that claim, God promises to see us through. The promise is made to Jesus not in spite of his doubts and sins and insecurities and laziness, but in spite of ours. Jesus of Nazareth certainly did come to embody the Spirit, but first he had to receive the Holy Spirit, which descended like a dove from beyond his own heart. I wish that Braxton McLennan were here, because you can ask any hunter worth his weight about doves, and here's what they might tell you. Unlike most hunters and preachers in their mid to late 40s, like most birds, the dove has superhuman eyesight. Unlike some folks who can no longer glance at her manuscript and see who is sleeping in the back pews, a dove can focus upon distant horizons and close-up objects at the exact same time. A dove can discern color with extreme accuracy. A dove, along with her less noble cousin, the pigeon, have been deemed two eyes with wings. A dove knows where she is going, and unless we are hiding or shooting weapons, a dove will see us long before we see the dove. You see, we may be shocked or surprised by the interruption of our daily grind, but the Holy Spirit crashes into our lives with great intention and purpose. Yes, the Spirit comes to dwell within us, but it is not born within the depths of our private hearts. It cannot be hijacked or summoned or predicted or manipulated from within our own ideas or our own personal experiences. You see, spirituality, it always begins beyond ourselves. That is why when two or more are gathered in prayer, God is there. That is why the nurse was like an angel when you were in the hospital. The sunset or the butterfly or the song or the radio, incoming dove, the friend with the casserole or the hug or the joke, incoming dove. The Holy Spirit is always unanticipated and unexpected and uncontrolled and presents new beginnings to those of us who are otherwise seemingly at a dead end. When the Holy Spirit breaks in, old ways of thinking and living, they fall away. Tired and dead social structures are transformed into new liberating communities. Courage and hope comes with new possibilities. There's Jacob's dream and Joseph's dreams and Daniel's dreams and the Magi, their dreams. There was Saul on the road to Damascus and the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Incoming, incoming, incoming. A new friendship after a painful divorce. A new job after finally letting go of the old one. A new community after a difficult move. Look out, the dove is incoming. A quiet walk after a big fight. A new possibility after a long season of stagnation. Are you hungry? We can't conjure up the Holy Spirit to make some sweeping change. The Holy Spirit, it's not magic. But we can prepare our hearts and our minds. We can risk 
the threat and the cost of putting ourselves in situations where we are in a position to both receive and to share God's spirit of love and grace and truth. And so perhaps the question this morning is this. Are you praying for a new life? Are you hoping for a new path, a new beginning? Well, then no more business as usual. The Holy Spirit is the living God. The Holy Spirit is the living God, moving and working and dwelling among us, within us, around us. God's choice, God's action, God's freedom, God's power in this world, creating, protecting, transforming right now. So look out. The dove is on the loose, and it's incoming. Amen. Friends, this is the Lord's table. We have been baptized into Christ, made citizens of God's kingdom. This is the royal banquet spread, set aside with heavenly food from Christ, who issues us all an invitation to come and to feast here. Let us pray. ours, for the sign and seal of your claim on us, and the sacred waters from which we emerge newly born in Christ. Blessed is your Holy Spirit who hovers among us now, and who comes into this bread and this cup, changing these ordinary things into sacred and holy things, the bread of life, the cup of salvation. For all these things we give you thanks. You call us to you in love and send us to love others in Christ's name. So please hear our prayers this day as we hold the weary and the suffering in our hearts and minds. We pray for those who are recovering and rebuilding from tornadoes and devastating storms. Shelter and protect those who have lost their homes. Be their refuge and their strength. 
We pray for the sick and their caregivers. We pray for the weary, first responders and hospital workers. Give hope to those who are called to help and heal. Help us to see this pandemic to its end. We pray for countries and communities without access to affordable health care. Help us, holy God, to dismantle oppressive systems that privilege and hoard. Help us to build new and just systems for all your children to know health and happiness. We pray for those who move into this new year feeling hopeless and beyond repair. Remind them that the night is not night to you. Remind them that you have called them by name and that they belong to you. United as the body of Christ, we lift these prayers and the prayers on our hearts to you, our Savior, so that as we break bread together and as we drink from the same cup, unite us as people who are grateful for the journey, for each other's company, for your guiding presence. And hear us as we boldly say together the prayer that Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks for it, he, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, and do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine and said, this is the cup of the new salvation, sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. For every time that you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Today we will be serving ourselves communion. We will invite you with the help of our ushers to come down the outside aisles in your family units. Serve yourself the bread and the cup. Process back to your seat through the center aisle, holding on to your elements. And when everyone has been served, we will eat together. Thank you.
body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. with joy in the sharing of this bread and wine. In deep gratitude for these people and for this meal, we give ourselves to you. Lead us toward unity. Send your spirit descending like an incoming dove. Give us grace for one another. Help us seek reconciliation. Take us out of this place today to live as changed people because we have shared the living bread and cannot remain the same. So Lord, may we live to your glory as people of earth, but more importantly, as people of your kingdom. We ask all this through Christ we pray. Amen. A generous God calls us to live generous lives. With open and thankful hearts, let us now turn to God and present our tithes and our offerings to further Christ's mission and ministry.
now together in one voice dedicate our gifts to God. O God, at his baptism you acknowledge Jesus as your beloved son and through him you open to us a way of becoming your children by grace. May these gifts we return to you be a sign of our dedication to lives as faithful children born in the waters of baptism by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit dwell in your hearts and go wherever you go until we come together again. Amen.